0: To another episode of Our Athletes. My name is Michael Riziel, and I'm the host of the show where I have conversations with Olympic athletes, hopefuls, and legends on their story and path to the games. And today we have Lex Gillette of USA Track and Field, four-time Paralympic silver medalist Lex unfortunately lost his sight at eight years old he goes really really deep into that story so I'm very grateful he got to explain it to us but what he is doing now is absolutely incredible utilizing his platform making the Paralympics we go through his whole story he was so much fun to talk to and get to learn from and you know going to four Olympic games a Paralympic games does not happen too often so very grateful that he got to tell us that and what he's doing and you know how he's going to deal with the post moment to the uh, Tokyo 2021 Paralympic Games now so thank you all so much and I hope you enjoy this conversation with Lex Gillette. All right, today my special guest, Lex Gillette of USA Track and Field, four-time Paralympic athlete, four-time Paralympic silver medalist, born October nineteenth, 1984 from Raleigh, North Carolina. Lost his sight at eight years old, but went on to compete, as I said, in four Paralympic games and has four silver medals in the long jump. Every year on September 25th in Hagerstown, Maryland and Washington County is Lex Gillette Day. Definitely curious how that one came about, especially because it's not even your birthday, man. I I think they put it on your birthday or something. Uh, Lex is a professional motivational speaker and his book Fly is coming out in the last week of April in 2020. So only about a month away. So Lex, really appreciate your time today, man. Thanks for hanging out.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me
0: buddy the pleasure is all mine i'm not going to the olympics or paralympics anytime soon so i'll uh, i'll have to live vicariously through you and your story and i'm excited to hear some more of it so uh, in my opinion best stories start at the beginning unless you know we're quitting tarantinoing that stuff so not let's right. let's take it let's take it back to north carolina and uh tell, tell me a little bit about what it was like growing up unfortunately as a unc and not a duke fan
1: oh uh, he had to slide that one in there tar heels all day baby I grew up in Raleigh, North Carolina. And as a kid growing up, I I was doing anything that your average eight-year-old boy was doing at the time, playing outside and riding bicycles, playing video games. And one particular day, I had come home from school, went through my normal routine. That evening, as I was inside of the bathtub, I started noticing that my sight was getting blurred for no apparent reason at all. Mm-hmm. So I get out of the tub, I hop onto the bathroom counter, look in, into the mirror, and that's when I immediately knew something was wrong because it was hard for me to see my, my reflection in, in the mirror. So I, I call my mom and, and she comes in thinking that maybe I had gotten something in my eyes mm-hmm. from playing outside. Earlier that day, we took some water and cleaned my eyes out. It didn't clear my sight any. So the next thought was, okay, go to sleep, you wake up in the morning and hopefully everything will reset, everything will be back to normal. When I woke up, nothing had really changed, but I did think that I would be well enough to go to school. So I I went to school and halfway through the day, teachers had to call my mom and they said, we need you to come get Lex because he's, something's wrong. He's not acting Mm -hmm. himself, he's bumping into things. My mom, she picks me up from, from school, takes me to the doctor and after an examination the diagnosis was we we need to have an emergency operation because your son has retina detachments and that was um i had my first operation and it Mm -hmm. was successful I, i could see the world clearly again for the most part and i was on the road to recovery so for those next three to four weeks i would say everything was on the up and up and then after that time my sight began to get blurry again, this time a little more than what it did the time before. And that led to another doctor's visit, another examination, another retina detachment, another operation to fix that. I could see it well for another three or four weeks. And after that time, my sight
0: oh, got goodness. blurry again
1: and another examination, another detached retina, another operation, another apparent success and it it didn't turn out that way. So Mm -hmm. that literally led to the year that I was eight years old. I had 10 operations.
0: Holy crap. And
1: after the last one, they said that there was, doctors said that there was nothing else they could do to help my sight and that I would probably become blind.
0: And it took, it took 10 operations for them to get there. Honestly, after the third one, man, I have to assume that, you know, something it's just not, it's just not in the cards at that point.
1: Yeah. You know what? I'm not even, I don't know. I think that Mm -hmm. at that time, I think from the, from the parent standpoint, I think my mom wanted to, to try oh, everything. Of course. Absolutely. So, um, per the doctor's recommendations, that probably was what they felt was the, was the best option at that time to continue to, to do that. I was literally in and out of the hospital for the entire time that I was what, I guess I was in second grade or third grade. And, um, and it was challenging. Um, but I think as an eight-year-old, when you hear the doctor finally say, okay, you're not going to be able to see mm-hmm. anymore, it is, a lot of it I think is, all right, am I going to be able to play my video games, am I going <laughs> yeah. to be able to yep. ride my bicycle, and, and from that day forward, it was going home, going through my normal routine, each day seeing a little less than what I did the day before until one day I finally woke up and I couldn't make out much of anything. And and that's when it really, like, it, it hits you in the chest. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I couldn't see to watch television. I couldn't read books with my eyes, and I couldn't see my mom and, and my neighborhood anymore. And and those things, uh, they slowly started to to settle in. It's like, wow, I'm I'm living life without without my eyesight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's just
0: incredible, man. I mean, at eight years old, uh, I don't even remember, yeah, same thing. Like I was worried about video games and 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 cartoons at that point. Um, yeah. I could only imagine what it was like, especially almost like that really surreal feeling of, as you were saying, like every day you saw a little bit less and a little yeah. bit less. And you can kind of know, it's, it's almost like a sinking ship. Like you're going down. Like there's really yeah. nothing you could do about it. You're in the middle of the ocean. Like what was that feeling like at eight?
1: Uh, I think that, you know, at, at, you're young, right? So you're mm-hmm. still trying to figure figure yeah. out life and you're developing. And and there were certainly times of, of of sadness. And fortunately, I had my mom, who's been a really big influence on my life. And she basically said that, hey, we're going to get through this. We're going to figure out a way to, to help you overcome and, and be successful in life. You may not be able to see those things, but you're going to be able to to feel that success. And you're going to be mm-hmm. able to experience it in so many other ways. And so she basically got into action mode and and she found someone to teach me how to rebrill. So that was how I was able to get through through school. Mm-hmm. And she found someone to teach me how to use a a cane, you know, the white canes with the mm-hmm. red tip. And you slide it from left to right. And so I had an orientation and mobility specialist to help me learn how to use that cane. And from there it was just using using my mind more my um, memory having to memorize things, having to you know memorize how the the uh, you know apartment or house was laid mm-hmm. out and how many stairs it took to get to the um you know second floor yeah. or if I'm at school trying to get from this class to that class and so really trying to to learn um you know learn how to navigate life without without being able to see and at first all of those things all of those tasks were were difficult and you know I was being stretched in in a way that was uncomfortable and especially when it comes to that cane and having to use that cane that was Mm -hmm. that was embarrassing because as I got older I'm 11 12 13 years old I'm a teenager now I don't I'm not trying to use a cane like (laughs) that's not cool and um teenage hormones man they're the worst right right? (laughs) exactly um and and after a while it's like you you figure out that that cane is the outlet to to freedom and independence and you being able to go out and and successfully maneuver around the the world and the earth and um but it's still like it took me a while to get to that point um but i would say that from a that, that initial transition in using Braille using different pieces of technology and screen readers for my computer and, and audio for our phones and things like that that was that was pretty um I would say that wasn't as bad as the adjustment from a social standpoint.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's like, you know, you, you hang out with your friends, you know, it's, it's just like, it's it's something that I take for granted. I don't know what it would be like, honestly. Um, you know, obviously I've never, never been in that type of situation, I guess. How, um, how, how much vision do you have? Is it, is it completely, is there anything left? Like, can you kind of like make out shapes or, or colors or anything, or is it pretty much just point?
1: It would be described as light perception. So I I could tell you if, there was light outside and i would tell you okay. if, if it, it was dark but outside of that, it's, there's nothing dang all right and
0: yeah. so do they do they know why your retinas is just kept detaching the way they did not no
1: answer yeah Damn. No, no answer because typically so you know people who have retina detachments, you hear a lot of it in in boxing right yep. so people are you get taking blows mm-hmm. to the head and and it jars your retina loose um or just from old age and, and just things you know just start to deteriorate but Outside of your normal eight year old activities, I can't really, there was nothing that we could point the finger at and say, yeah. oh, you know, that's, that's why.
0: Yeah, it's just weird that it kept happening over and over and over yeah. again. That's that's like it's one thing. I have a friend who actually uh, had his retina detached. You know, we were it we was in college, he got hit in the face with something and then all of a sudden he's like something's wrong. Um yeah. he had to eventually go get surgery and, and get it re- reattached. Yeah. Um so like obviously, you know, you hear about that sometimes, and it's usually as you kind of the, the first surgery you had, it was a quick fix. Okay, everything's cool, you should be good yeah. to go. It's just crazy that, you know, over time they they just refused to stay there, and you know, yeah. it's it's unfortunate you don't know, but hey, man, knowing really isn't going to do anything yeah. at this point, other than you know maybe help people in the future. But it
1: it is what it is. Yeah, I will say I'm I'm definitely glad I had this conversation a lot with people, but it's it's totally different when you know 25 years later. If I were to have lost my sight now, oh god, yeah. um, you know, already having being established in life and who knows you could be in a, a totally different situation for me you could have a family and have kids and you know have a, a job that you're used to going to every day and so to experience it at this point would probably be a lot more difficult i think because at that younger age you're still developing right and and and, and at 8 years old even though i was able to see for those first few years of my life that was that was my new normal if you will Mm, and um and i was still developing and growing into my own just you know human being lex gillette Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. um so to be able to conquer that um at an early age i think was a was a benefit that that uh is you know it's huge yeah. I mean, if it was going
0: to ever happen, you, you want it to be happening earlier on in life um, or all the way at the end, mm-hmm. right? Like it's somewhere yeah. in the middle. Like if I, all of a sudden, you know, just, just unfortunately went blind, um, here at 28, I feel like I would have, you know, there'd be some struggles involved, um, sure. uh, mostly cause my apartment's so messy and I don't know where everything <laughs> is, but, um, not a serious note. I mean, I think sure. that would be extremely difficult and, you know, just being so used to something, as I said, you know, as, as you said, like, you know, like, those you 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 can see for those first eight years but really like what do you remember before like four or five years old as like a real concrete memory right so you had it for at least for me like so you'd have it for a few years and then all of a sudden you know the new normal is what you're about now you've been doing this three times as long as you've been alive at that point right
1: right. and is and and the other thing too, you bring up a really good point because you talk about having a having a messy place Ah. i try to keep mine as 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 uh, clean as possible, I and as hope so. organization is like a, a person who's blind. That's your best friend, knowing where things are. So if you really want to like piss off somebody who's blind. Like move the furniture around in the house without, <laughs> without saying anything and see what happens. That's pretty mean. But uh, yeah. if I get
0: any blind friends and they do start to piss me <laughs> yeah. off, maybe uh, maybe yeah. I'll just come down to uh, Atlanta and just throw Duke stuff all over your apartment. You don't know uh, what you're running into at that point. I had to throw it in there again, man. Sure,
1: sure, right. I'm, again. In, I'm in San Diego now. Oh, though, but not, yeah. all right. Yeah.
0: All right. All right. Maybe. We'll see. Well, I, I wouldn't mind going out to San Diego. I hear it's pretty yeah. nice sunny and 70, 70 sunny and 75 every day right yeah. um, but so i guess with with um you know obviously you know going blind at such a young age and you know just starting video games riding your bike like you've only been doing that stuff for a little while what where was the need or the want for sports and competition and all that because at that point it just sounds dangerous for lack of a better word and like obviously your mom's doing everything she can was it something that she found out would be helpful? Was it something that she was open to? Like how did you guys have that conversation when you were still so young?
1: I think that from her perspective, it was getting me involved in in a lot of different resources and mm-hmm. finding all of the tools that would that would aid in me becoming a world a well rounded human mm-hmm. being. Mm-hmm. I don't think that her I don't think that her idea for me was all right, you know, he's gonna be he's going to be a Paralympic athlete. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I think it was just more so exposing him, exposing me to to so many things so that I could find out what I like and, you know, figure out what I'm good at and, and uh, you know, find that passion for life. And eventually it led to to track and field. My mm-hmm. mom's side of the family, however, is the athletic side. So, <clears throat> excuse me, there's no, there was, uh, you know, my mom, she played, Softball and and basketball and my aunts and uncles and even my grandmother like everybody's been involved in in some sort of sport so it's total total athletic athletic family so it was you know natural that even before I lost my sight I was playing like rec league baseball mm-hmm. and playing typical backyard sports and uh, and then after I lost my sight eventually I started learning about adapted sports. And, uh, you know, eventually that led to to track and field. That's awesome, man.
0: Yeah. And then the, you were talking about it before a little bit, the social aspect too, right? Like kind of always have, like with sports, you're always around other people and, you know, just being able to be around other people, is just easier way to make friends than, you know, as yeah. you were saying before, as a 13 year old walking through school with the cane, no. that's pretty embarrassing, but if you're all playing sports, you're all on the same level playing field at that point.
1: Yeah, you, definitely. And I think uh, another aspect to that is, you know, I had to to speak up for myself. And I had a teacher in high school, Brian Whitmer, who, who helped as well. And he was a teacher of the visually impaired. So he was responsible for helping me get all of the the adequate resources and accessible uh, textbooks and everything that I would need from a, from an academic standpoint. But he also attended physical education class with me as well. And so he helped make that environment uh, inclusive adapt adapting sports in a way so that I would be able to participate with friends. And I think that had I not had him, it might have been a an uphill battle because you know, some of the some of the teachers at that particular time, I don't think were as educated about how to, you know, make adaptations. I think it would have been much more of a, all right, Lex, you know, you can you can go to to study hall and get get a, a head start on your homework or you know whatever classwork we have for tomorrow. Um, but Mr. Whitmer was adamant about 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 keeping me involved um, just as much as as my sighted peers
0: that's incredible shout out to Brian Whitmer really appreciate what he does that's awesome and um, you know I hope he knows I'm I'm, do you still stay in contact with him
1: absolutely yeah Yeah, I was gonna say
0: I hope I hope he knows kind of the the impact he had on your life especially because in high school in you know That's dude. That's the weirdest four years of your life, whether you have your sight or not. I'll be upfront, honest with you on that one, man. Like those are the four weirdest years of your life, hands down. Right next to like, you know, sixth, seventh, and eighth grade. I'd say high school. Those first couple years, just trying to figure everything out. And it's awesome that you had someone that was that was capable and able to help you through all of that. I think that that's that's incredible. So yeah, with adaptive sports, and you know, as you you were saying before, shout out Brian. Appreciate what he did to kind of keep you inclusive in a lot of the things during high school as well. When um what was it was it a, was it track and field specifically was that the first one you tried like how how did you kind of come in contact with you know especially long jump and everything that you were doing on that end
1: yeah i think so i so i, I was i was a part of this physical fitness test in high school and mm-hmm. there were different activities that you had to participate in one of them one of the activities was standing long jump standing one spot and mm-hmm. jump as far as you can and I was one of the best jumper. I was the best jumper in, in our freshman class. And I was one of the best jumpers in in our school. And you know, at at like 14, 15 years old, I could jump 10 feet from a standstill forward. Oh. And and so Coach Whitmer, he was like, oh man, this is this is crazy. This is insane. And from there, he told me about the Paralympics and potentially being able to represent Team USA. Um, I think my initial thoughts were, all right, well, how am I going to do this? And how, how exactly does it work? Because at first I was thinking that, okay, I stand in one spot and I jump and -hmm. if I'm competing against other athletes who are blind or visually impaired like myself, and I am currently in public school competing against sighted peers and and Mm -hmm. I'm beating them and they can see, then I should be able to, I should be able to crush someone who can't see, Mm -hmm. And he he was like no 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 yeah it's not quite that easy man yeah uh, <laughs> you gotta you gotta run a little bit and jump and I'm like how much running <laughs> so that that led that's, to that's that's your first question how much running how much running it. are we talking about and and then he's uh you know he's like well you have to you have to determine a specific number of steps and then you basically fling yourself into a, a huge sand pit I was. Terrified in the beginning, I didn't mm-hmm. know how we were going to do this, and, and he told me that he, you know, he had a strategy, and he was going to stand at the takeoff point, and he would clap and he would yell, so that would give me that audible reference as to where I needed to run and jump from. Then it was my responsibility to remember how many strides I would take, run as straight as possible, as fast as possible to the sound of his voice, and I would I would jump. It was those first few times trying it out. It was it was challenging. It was uncomfortable, and mm-hmm. and I was I was afraid. You know, you don't know if you're gonna run into anything mm-hmm. or fall down, or you know, when you jump, are you gonna land inside of the sandpit? Are you gonna land on the grass, on the concrete, whatever? And and it was it was just really 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 tough. But Mr. Whitmer, he was he was just very adamant. Like I'm I'm here for you. I'm gonna be your eyes. I'm going to make sure that. That nothing happens to to physically injure you, and you just have to trust me on that. And and ultimately ultimately boil down to, all right, if I don't trust this guy, what am I? You know, what part of my life am I totally just erasing from mm-hmm. possibility? Like, That's... what am I? What am I potentially going to mm-hmm. lose out on? And, and him talking about winning those medals and breaking records and and representing. Team USA that you know that sounded pretty cool and so it just got to the point where I don't want to totally eliminate myself from this opportunity so let's just try it out a few more times and let's see see what happens that's incredible man again shout out to Mr. Whitmer Brian,
0: or coach whatever we're calling him I mean that's (laughs) that's so cool and I like the strategy he applied too. you know like you know use use your use your that you know some of the senses that you do have your your hearing and and you know you come to me and then as you were talking about before, memorizing where everything is in the apartment, how many steps it takes to get to the second floor, just memorize how many strides you got, you know, and then yeah. just jump and take off. And I could only imagine how terrifying those first few were. Um, yeah. But after you kind of got over that fear, I mean, how much fun did you just immediately start having?
1: Uh, it was a lot of fun. And the reason being, he took, me to a, he took me to a sports camp in Kalamazoo, Michigan. And that sports education camp was put on by the United States Association for Blind Athletes so it was a, a camp specifically for blind and visually impaired athletes um and there were many many sports and activities that you could try out up there and there was a a competition that I was a part of running long jump um and I ended up winning that competition so throughout the week you're you're practicing whatever activities that you choose and it's it's a number of things that you that you'll compete in. So I I had running long jump was one of them. I played a sport called goalball. I'm not sure if you're familiar with goalball. Nope. Uh, Goalball is a sport played by blind and visually impaired athletes and it's it's three on three and they play it inside of a gym and the court is about the size of a a volleyball court, but on the floor are, uh, it's kind of like tape that is stretched over um, like cords, if you will. And so, with the tape on top of the court, it creates a, a tactile—it <clears throat> it creates a tactile line that you're able to feel. So the players have to stay within a certain area of the court, and so you have these these athletes who are rolling this ball, which is about the size of a basketball, and it has bells inside of it. And so you have to you throwing it back and forth, back and forth, and you're trying to keep it from going inside of the goal, which is. The goal is behind you. And the Mm -hmm. goal is, I want to say it's, it's the length of the entire back line. Oh, wow. Three athletes are trying to keep it, keep it from going in that net. I I was going to say, I think that net is nine meters wide. Um, So you're having to, you're throwing this ball. And as an athlete, you're slot, you're literally on the ground Mm -hmm. on your side, trying to block this ball. (laughs) (laughs) That sounds like fun. It's a lot of fun. There's a lot of rules, and I haven't played in a while. I actually had I played that for a bit in high school as well, and and on my high school team, we um, we won the championship my senior year down in Saint Augustine, Florida, and I had gotten I had gotten invited out to one of the uh, elite level camps, <clears throat> excuse me, in in Colorado Springs one year, and that was when I knew that um, track and field was the sport for me because those guys they are. Throwing this ball like almost forty miles an hour, is probably forty miles an hour. And for me, I'm like, you know, I'm like six one hundred and seventy pounds. Like, I'm, I'm gonna go for the non-contact sport. <laughs> um so it's probably a sm- probably a smart move up. i was yeah. gonna say i'm i'm like five seven like
0: 170 so you uh <laughs> you got you got a little bit on me uh not to say you know i i might be able to i drink too much beer there i said it i just i drink uh, a little too much beer that's all it comes down to
1: <laughs> but man yeah so i I, <laughs> I stayed on the i stayed on the the track and field uh, track of field side of things and after after i had competed at that that camp um that's when I knew it. I was like, you know what? I want to try out. I want to try out this running long jump thing. And from there I came back to North Carolina, joined my high school track team. And I was on our, our high school track team for my last few years of, of high school.
0: That's awesome, man.
1: Hell yeah. That,
0: that's, that is super cool. Um, yeah. Just getting that opportunity again, going up to Michigan, getting to meet with some other people, you know, playing these new sports, going up to Colorado Springs, getting invited, as you said, let's stick with the non-contact sports. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it is just so, so awesome. Again, shout out, shout out to Brian Whitmer. He he's fantastic. So, oh, yeah, he's, how he's how, how how old are you at this point? Thirty-five. No, 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 no. no. I'm sorry. In, in the story, so oh, you're, in the story,
1: uh, what was I? I don't think I was sixteen.
0: Sixteen. Okay, cool. Yeah. So you're you're still four years away from the oh four games, which was your first one, correct? Yeah. Okay. So what? During those four years getting ready, because, you know, at 16, you're probably not going to the 2000 games. Um, Sydney, if I'm not mistaken, you're probably not going there. So what did you do to make sure that you, you know, this seemed like a pretty legitimate opportunity for you. What did you do to make sure over those next four years that not only was it a legitimate opportunity, but it was uh, almost an expectation at that point?
1: I was literally, I mean, Coach Whitmer was setting that, he was setting the stage for me. And I think everything that I was doing from a high school standpoint was, was helping me to get to, to that Paralympic stage. And Mm -hmm. so being a part of the high school team and being amongst my, my, my buddies who were, you know, they were helping me, they would help run 150 meter repeats and 200 meter repeats and 300 meter repeats and, and giving me feedback on, you know, what I could do while I was jumping. When you coupled that with, with mr whitmer's experience and and his knowledge i was able to to get stronger to get faster to get more powerful mm-hmm. and it eventually got to the point where i did get invited to uh you know i went to a national championships in in colorado springs and eventually i kind of got into that pool of of athletes in the in the u.s paralympic uh in the u.s paralympic rank and um you know, once I got to the point where my, my results were being, were being seen by, you know, the, the, the people who, who matter Mm -hmm. and then make decisions, then, uh, you know, I was, I was in a good space.
0: That's awesome, man. And what was, what was the first national championship like? Like what was that experience like, like finally getting like a little recognition being like, okay, cool. Like I'm on this stage at this point.
1: Yeah, it was cool, man. I'm, you know, like, like you're 17 years old and, and you're you've, you've traveled across the country to go compete in a national in a national competition. Now I remember being out there, and you know there were people on either side of the long jump runway and the long jump pit, and it was it was really it was energizing, it was invigorating, and um, you know you hear you hear the chitter chatter, and you hear people like, oh man, this you know this could be the next you know, the next like visually impaired star we have or whatever Mm -hmm. they were saying at that particular time. And, um, and to have coach Whitmer again, there through the entire process, that was, you know, he was, he was my security blanket and, and he was there through every step of the way. So, um, between him and, and, uh, you know, that, that system, that support system that my mom had had set up, um, you know i was able mm-hmm. to to really catapult into a, another another on another level where i was like all right you know i started feeling good about myself yeah. and you start seeing the paralympics in your sights and and uh yeah i mean it's 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 crazy
0: what was it like when you were at paralympic trials and you uh you qualified
1: um you know what my very so the very first time that i went there was not there was a qualification process, mm-hmm. but there wasn't a Paralympic trial oh, okay. specifically. Okay. But what I will say is I was I was literally like on the cusp, I might have been right outside of the 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 curve in terms of where I needed to be to make the mm-hmm. team and um, and luckily I was I was close enough to earn a slot. And I do remember Excuse me. I remember getting that 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 nomination and then it was surreal. It's kind of like, ah, oh, like you've been working for for the past three some odd years and all of the work that you put in is going to earn you a slot to go to Athens, Greece. So that, that was amazing. that was wild.
0: That is so cool, man! And not only get to go to Athens, but you go and you crush it when you're there, dude. You yeah. go. I mean, what was what was? Um, well, first, let's before we get to your experience there. I know one thing that I, you know, I I told you I wanted to talk a little bit about was kind of explaining the Paralympic Games because one thing that I've found, and just you know, I work with a lot of athletes, a lot of Olympic, some Paralympic athletes, and I understand the games a little bit more than just the casual fan does. And what I've found is most people are they they kind of equate the paralympic games a little bit closer to the special olympic games than the actual olympic games and i'm sure i'm not the first person to ever tell you this this is probably something you deal with on a daily basis so i would just love to understand especially from your point of view like give the people you know listening and understanding of what what the paralympic Games is about because it's 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 i mean shout out to the olympic or the the special olympics they're amazing but this is this is some cutthroat shit man like we're not messing around here yeah
1: yeah, I mean the Paralympics is literally it's it is the the highest pinnacle competition for the world's best athletes who, who just so happen to have a disability. And there's gold, silver, and bronze medals. And if you don't land in the top three, then you are going home empty-handed. And you know, some people may mm-hmm. some people may be happy to just make it to the game. Some people will be angry that they don't get on the podium um the podium is 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 what you want that gold medal is what we all strive for and so nah nobody nobody's messing around these are literally some of the world's absolute best athletes where you have athletes who are are amputees who run with a single like a running blade and they may have that on on one one leg and these guys are running you know, ten sevens in the in the hundred meter, ten point seven seconds in the hundred meters, or ten point six seconds in the hundred meters, and you, like, there there are incredible athletes. So when you show up to the Paralympic Games, you're going to see a a heated battle between athletes from all corners of the world who are who are vying for that top spot on the podium, and it just so happens that some of these athletes are going to the games to to win money for their families and, and mm-hmm. for, uh, you know, like their country. Um, you know, in, in certain countries, they win the gold medal and they're, they're set for life. Um, you know, you have other other athletes who, you know, they, they go and, you know, for me, I'm, I'm going to not only represent my country, um, but I know my family, they, they vicariously live through a lot of the experiences that I have on the Paralympic stage. And so to be able to make them proud and and to also make my sponsors proud as well, uh, that's, that's, that's always a bonus because we're, we're, we are in this together. Literally there are so many people who have a hand in my success and, and they deserve just as much as the credit as, as I do, because without their support, it would make it a lot more difficult to get to, to get to that stage. But, Mm -hmm. um, you know, we we are athletes who are out there. We're training five, six, sometimes seven days a week. If you're a really hardcore athlete and you are training for this one moment in time to be on that global stage to show the world what you're what you're made of.
0: I love it, man. That's good stuff. Yeah. And I'm, I was just like, you know, I've had a few Paralympic athletes on here and I always want them to explain it so that everybody understands like. No, this isn't messing around. Yeah. This is like some, No, again, not to say the Special Olympics is yeah. messing around. Maybe that's not, not the best way to say it, but this is some hardcore, very legitimate, you know, yeah. these are athletes, world-class athletes competing. They just happen to have, you know, an amputated leg, as you said. They're visually impaired. Like, doesn't yeah. make, doesn't mean, you know, they're still not running, as you said, a 10.6 in the 100-meter dash. Like, yeah. you get off your couch and try it, right? But, uh, yeah. no, man. Um, and so, how, what was your, your first experience like? I mean, Athens, Greece, like, where the, the Olympics were born. Porn, like that had to have been so cool, especially yeah. you're what, like twenty years old at the time,
1: not even. Yeah, well, yeah, I was I was nineteen. You know, my birthday is late in the year, so I I hadn't turned twenty yet. And it was a it was an an insane experience to to be inside of that, that stadium and to feel the electricity and to feel that energy and to have so many people in the stands. You can literally feel that that energy that is within that stadium. To have those people cheering for you, to be cheering against you, and and to have that medal-winning jump, to to hear everybody like clapping and and cheering, and and out of all of that, to know that my mom and my grandmother were in the stands, and oh, Coach Whitmer, awesome. and his wife were in the stands as well. So it was it was almost like a a, a personal thank you to to them mm-hmm. for everything that they had done to get me to that point um it was it was absolutely amazing
0: that's incredible man yeah to have them there to see everything that's happening to you and and through you that that just experience it with you had to have been incredible for them but i mean for you man like you know obviously um as i said before a four-time silver medal winner so you won a silver in your first games, which is awesome um so congratulations on that 19 years old taking home a medal as you said you're getting on that podium that's incredible um what was out, outside of the competition? Because it sounds like it went pretty darn well. What like what was the experience like? What was the atmosphere like? Being able to meet all these other athletes from other countries and you know to mingle with more of the Team USA athletes that you don't get the opportunity to hang out with too often. What, what in terms of that? What did you take away from that first games?
1: It was uh, man, it's just a really awesome community. You get to meet so many people, as you mentioned, and and learn how they train, learn how they live, and especially other athletes from from other countries around the world to hear about some of the athletes who literally the games is their opportunity to to put food on their family's table and to pay bills back at home it 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 grounds you as an athlete from you know from the US we have a you know we're fortunate to to have a lot of things and make choices on what we want to eat and and a lot of different things mm-hmm. that the next athlete they don't have that same luxury so to hear some of those stories and to to hear about their training experiences and their living experiences is really 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 fascinating and just to be able to go out into the into the city and visit the the acropolis and, and the first yeah. olympic stadium and i mean there's there's always historical pieces linked to each games so to have that to have that opportunity to to see what's going on and to learn is 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 really cool because honestly if i wasn't in this position if i wasn't training and competing who knows if i if i would have those same opportunities to travel like being able to 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 get around the world is that's a blessing for real
0: it's absolutely man, well deserved, and it's a blessing. But you worked really damn hard to get there, so yeah. well, de- well deserved, uh, um, very it. much earned. And uh, as I said again, you, yeah, I mean that that had to have been so cool. Again, going to Greece, you know, going to Athens, as you said, like the the literally where the Olympics were born, however many years ago, and that being your first one. Um, and you know, again, then taking a medal home with it, like that's there's right. so many layers to that that I think is awesome. And um, so, I mean, that was your first games. Uh, you have three more after that. Um, yeah. I mean, if you want to go over year by year, man, I'm totally down. But, like, you know, with those next, you know, few games, when did you really start to, you know, gain the, you know, feel yourself a little bit more? And obviously now you're a motivational speaker, so you get out there and and you do that. You're writing a book. You make some music. You're doing so much stuff. Like, when when along the way did you really, because, I mean, I probably didn't really get to feel like that until I was probably, like, 26 yeah and like so i mean like at what point for you during this career of yours did you really start to kind of not to say come out of your shell but really start to take a hold and utilize the platform that you have
1: i think that when i was 20 i was probably when i was 26 i was probably 26 Look or 27 one of the, one of those two years would would have been my breakout year because mm-hmm. even still like 2008 was really awesome and i did you know i did well at the games i wanted to of course win gold but I had, I had just graduated from college the, the previous year and, and I was I was making the move to train in in Chula Vista, California, full time. And yeah there was just a lot going on. And so mm-hmm. after 2008, I was trying to figure out first and foremost, I was I was done with college at that time. So trying to figure out, OK, what's the next move? How am I going to make money? How am I going to establish what? kind of what that next phase of life is going to be for me. And it eventually, it started off with, with speaking and wanting to tell my story and, and wanting to get sponsored. And I had a lot of friends who were already doing both of those things. And I wanna say in 2010, 2011, that's when I started seeking out different opportunities to, to speak and the U.S. Olympic Committee, that's what it was called at the time, now it's the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee. But the USOC at the time had a, a Paralympic ambassador program. And that was where I had gotten the opportunity to learn about elevator pitches and you know, five minute speeches and you know, your longer length speeches. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, that, that got me in a really good space in terms of being able to stand in front of people and tell my story. And that just like it was when I started competing. Similar in the speaking realm, it was just so uncomfortable to to mm-hmm. stand in front of people and and the average person naturally has questions about all right like how how much do you you train a day and how much do you run, how much do you eat et cetera et cetera and then of course the the conversation has to go to like how do you do this when you're blind right and And a lot of those questions were they they were difficult, I think that I was still dealing with. You know, insecurities and not really comfortable fully in my own skin. But after a while, what what changed that narrative for me was at the end of the day, when you speak it's, it's not about you. It's not about mm-hmm. you at all. It's about all of the, the people who are in that audience who are wanting to hear something from your speech and wanting to take something away that they can that they can apply to their own personal journeys. And that really lifted a, a weight off of my shoulder. Two thousand and eleven, I started getting a couple looks in terms of sponsors and of course from from sponsor relationships, you have to there's contractual obligations that surround mm-hmm. you going to speak to the employees and you know doing this that and the third. so that helped help strengthen my cause as well and and then twenty thirteen rolled around after London and I started really started getting into that sponsor pool and, and getting more activity. And, um, yeah, I got a lot more comfortable and, and it just became that much more fun. That's awesome, man.
0: And yeah, again, I'm not trying to cut your story short. If, if there's some good stories from that, you know, the, the second, the third, the fourth games, like lay em on us. I want to hear all of it, but I do think again, you know, that first one's got to be super special because yeah. again, it's in Athens, you're 19 years old, you know, only 10 years ago, essentially you lost your sight, and now you're, you're, you're the, the peak you know, yeah. pe- a peak athlete, an incredible, incredible turnaround and incredible story. And I just think it is so cool, man. And yeah, you got pretty darn good at telling your story. I think you're doing pretty great at it here, at least. And all I'm doing is asking some general questions and you're killing it. So I really do appreciate kind of what you're doing. And, and I guess along the way, again, you know, see, so there was Athens, there was Beijing, there was London, London there was Rio, Rio,
1: you know, Tokyo. Say, yeah, come play yeah, on me. Tokyo. The- so I will say that Rio was the one where I was saying to myself, you're going to win the uh, goal this damn. year. And I would even circle back to London. London was challenging because I had been injured a mm-hmm. couple of months before the games. And that's that, totally no excuses because at the end of the day, I was there and I was, I was ready to compete. I had just been in a situation where my injury had put me on the shelf for about four weeks and wow. to not be able to, to have that training, a little less than two months before the game started was that was a challenge, but like bypass that. And you go to, to 2013 world championships and and I won gold there and I won gold 2015 world championships and going into 2016, I said, yeah, this is going to be it. And the the challenging thing with, with Rio was that there there was so much ruckus and, and chaos going inside of the stadium and th- that totally no diss to to the crowd at the end of the day they're there to watch a competition and mm-hmm. there's so many events going on at the same time but myself and a number of the other athletes some a number of my competitors were having difficulties with being able to actually hear our guides you have that guide who's giving you that oh, okay uh-huh. okay and so I remember asking my guide if he could ask the officials, like, hey, can you can you get the PA announcer to come on and get the crowd to you know, quiet down so that we can get some <clears throat> some quality jumps down here? And that's totally within the realm of uh, like the accommodations that they typically provide for us. And for whatever reason, it just I don't know if the message wasn't getting across or what. Um, I mean, even at one point, one of the athlete's guides was trying to signal to the crowd, like, "Can can we be <laughs> quiet?" Uh-huh. And the crowd yeah, yeah. booed him, like, literally "Oh shoot, booed him. no way!" And um, and so I was just like, "Man, you know what? This this is going. This is the type of day it's going to be. Okay, but <laughs> like I still <laughs> there, there still has to be a way that I could overcome this." And I and I, it's a love, it's a bittersweet moment to tell this part. But th- at one point, I did finally get a jump where. I could hear my guy pretty well. I jumped, landed in the sand and I went from probably sixth place, some somewhere around there to to first place to the gold medal position. If we had one jump remaining, the competition, I get on the runway again. And and I'm already thinking that, okay, that was a decent jump. But if you want to put the nail in the coffin, this is your opportunity to do it. I'm running and probably halfway through my approach there, there's noise again, and there's, there's cheering. And like I said, there are other events going on. So uh, but again, a lot of the competitions that I've been to, the the crowd has has understood what is going on throughout Mm -hmm. the stadium. And they kind of give that that courtesy. But I didn't I didn't do well on that particular jump. So I was still in first place. The Brazilian athlete has he has the final jump.
0: They get real quiet I, prom- for him, huh? I
1: promise you <laughs> the entire place is that quiet <laughs> and you could literally hear a pin drop inside of the stadium and, and even from where i was sitting i'm listening to his guide and his guide sounds super loud and clear and the brazilian guy he capitalizes on on that and i didn't even i didn't need to hear my guide wesley tell me the result because once mm-hmm. it came up on the screen, the place erupted mm-hmm. and all I could do was just, you know, put my head in, in, in Wes's shoulders. And I was like, golly bro. I like, I literally did all that I could. And the, the, the reason that I, sh- that I like to, to share that story is because um, the, the guides are crucial to our success. Mm -hmm. and and being able to hear them is is totally that is that is key and if you can't as a blind or visually impaired athlete if you cannot hear your guide then you literally cannot compete to the best of your ability Mm -hmm. and that's the only competition where I felt like I don't think that I could have did anything differently like I could have been I could have did like pulled a Martin Luther King move and, and, and tried to, you know, just like totally shut down the whole shop. And, but at that Mm -hmm. particular time, I wasn't, I wasn't thinking about anything like that. I wasn't thinking about standing on the runway and, and not allowing the competition to go on. I was just Mm -hmm. trying to figure out like, okay, there has to be a way for us to do this. And so my personality is if, if there's, if there's an area where I know that I got beat, I will let you know that because at the end of the day, It doesn't matter who comes into the competition number one or who comes in number 10 everyone is going for that gold on that particular day and whoever shows up the best deserves that right Mm -hmm. um but to to be in a competition where it literally feels like the competitive advantage was out of your control that was tough um and and you know those next couple of years, I won world championships in 2017, and I won world championships in 2019, about Jeez. five months ago. And mm-hmm. so now is is it's 2020, and unfortunately, we're dealing with with the coronavirus, mm-hmm. and there is a possibility that the games is going to to be postponed. I know there was something that came out today, but apparently, we we had also got word that that gentleman is not an official spokesman for yeah. for the ioc so even though i personally think that the games will be postponed i'm just gonna wait and see Absolutely. but um you know when when i do get a chance to compete i'm gonna be ready to go and yeah, i I'm, I'm feel like i'm a i'm a finally at the paralympic games get on that top that top platform because that's the only thing that I haven't done in the sport yet. Yeah. I was
0: going to say, I mean, four for Paralympic Games, four silver medals, um, whatever you're doing, man, we still appreciate you. We still love you. We still thank you for representing our country and doing what you do. I think that that part's incredible. And it's also, you know, an obvious point to make, but it's nice to say out loud, hopefully you, you can take some of that and, and um, utilize it because we really do appreciate what you're doing Whether you get that silver. Obviously, we all want you to get gold. Yeah. Um, but, you know, hey, man, we appreciate you getting that silver too and, and doing it and, and you, just representing us i think is very important uh, an upstanding person an upstanding citizen like yourself i think that's great this you're the exact kind of person that we want representing us in the united states so we really do appreciate that but yeah Mike. man you got to take it home 2020 uh, yeah, yeah, not, absolutely. I, i'm pretty confident it's not going to happen this year either i know that guy isn't an official spokesperson but at this point um, as of recording, this is March like 22nd, I think, and you know yeah. Canada dropped out, uh, Australia dropped out, yeah. USA Swimming sent a letter to the USOC saying, "Hey, can we drop out too?" So uh, I'm pretty confident that it's not going to happen 2020, but 2021, man, you uh you better be ready. Yeah,
1: yeah, definitely. And I'll also too, I don't want to come across as like, oh my gosh, he's ungrateful. I I am proud of everything. Oh no no, no 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 no. Yeah, every single. You didn't come across like that at all, man. Yeah, you're you're yeah. perfect. We
0: appreciate um, you. I understand. You're a, you're a world class athlete and you're competitive. You better yeah, be pissed not, off, right? you're, like, right. I if think you're not, like, a lot of people,
1: I feel, yeah. No, a lot of people don't understand that. I think that, like, just to put it in context, you like when you take a test, you want to get an A on the test. If, of course, if you have an opportunity to get a job. You you want that job, and so to not to not be able to achieve those things and get what you set out to get, you it probably. It may sting a little bit you may feel yeah. a certain way about it so um a lot of times i think that athletes we we sometimes get a bad rep because they're like oh well, they're they're ungrateful or they're just being a, a sore loser and it has has you know a lot of times it doesn't have anything to do with that it is you know we measure our success by by what we're doing um you know on the on the track and field or on the basketball court or whatever and so not being able to get that that good grade on our metaphorical test is you know it's like ah you know that yeah man no i mean you're you're an athlete you better
0: be uh a little pissed off if you get second place like you you have to be you know like you you were that close to first and yeah as you said like it's um it's unfortunate the situation you were in um you know it it sucks but we roll with it and uh we come and back we again. Twenty and we, and we, Let's get it. 2021 Tokyo. It sounds yeah. good. I love it. And so uh, just a couple last things I want to touch on. You know, we were talking about before, um, you know, obviously, you're a motivational speaker. We touched on that and why you do it and what you do. So I really appreciate you going over parts of that. Um, you're writing a book now uh, or the book's written. It's coming out in like yeah. a month, uh, which yep. is
1: awesome. Where Where was the inspiration to write a book? A lot of it was... I've mentioned my mom. I've mentioned Coach Whitmer. Mm-hmm. I've mentioned so many people in my life, and so being able to put down on on paper, kind of like a thank you, if you will, taking a lot of the experiences and stories from my life, and then on the back end, being able to to pull some inspiration or or messages from those stories, as as things that people can apply to their own life, hopefully. And, um, but ultimately at the, at the same time, really telling my mom, thank you. And Coach Whitmer, thank you. And the book is entitled Fly, it's called Fly. And so it is, a, it is a, an account of, you know, the love and affection and care that I have for these people because at the end of the day, they, they've lifted me to levels that I could have, I would have never imagined. And, and I'm flying every day that I step, every day I roll out of the bed, my feet hardly hit the ground. I'm I'm always above ground because of these people and and, and I'm not even going to say these people because of my my family. They have just allowed me to see things within myself and and see this world in a way that uh, we didn't see 20 years ago.
0: Mhm no man that's incredible and shout out you got at least one person to buy the book in front of you hopefully a couple more too so um man i think it's awesome and then with you know one thing we spoke about just kind of before we went on and i always love to ask athletes you know gravity biology physics will all tell me um you know maybe your brain will, will will postpone this for a little while and you'll continue to keep crushing it but at some point your athletic career is going to have to come to an end and unfortunately it's going to come to an end a little bit earlier than someone like you know what i'm doing right i can yeah. hopefully talk in front of a microphone until i'm 100 yeah. but until then we rock and roll so what um what's, I guess, what, what's your post-career career career thoughts? I mean, you got a, you got a book, you got speaking, you know, you're, you're clearly doing a lot of stuff on that end, but is there anything that you're going to try and get into kind of once, once the athletic side of your career does come to a close?
1: I believe I'll continue to speak. I, I really, I love it. It, you know, helps me pay my bills and, and I've also gotten into facilitating like experiential learning programs as well. So, between those things and and hopefully writing a couple more a couple more books and and getting some more information out there, I think those are 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 my passions right now. So yeah, I don't I don't need to run fast and jump far to do those things. So that that should be that'll be what I'm what I'm looking for forward to after uh, after I'm done with the track spikes.
0: So just more of what you already love to do, man. That sounds like you hit the yeah. jackpot. Yeah. Definitely. This is good stuff. Awesome. Lex, this was incredible. Lex Gillette, USA Track and Field, four-time Paralympic silver medalist, four-time Paralympic athlete, book author, fly, coming out in about a month. Motivational speaker. Lex, you're incredible. Thanks so much for your time today, man. I appreciate it, Mike. Thank you all so much for listening to this conversation with Lex. As I said, he is such a cool dude. So much fun. He's a professional speaker. So as you could tell, we had a little bit of fun during this episode. So make sure to follow him on all of his socials. Everything is in the show notes. Please make sure to follow us as well at ourathletes.us on Instagram, at ourathletesusa on Twitter. Make sure to give us a five-star review on, uh, what is that, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, wherever you're listening to this. It would be super helpful. So thank you all so much, and I hope you make it a wonderful day.